1: That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff.
0: Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
2: Welcome, everyone, to episode 253 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Taporic. It is August, so we are finally in a dead period. And now that we've had a chance to digest free agency a little bit, we're going to turn our attention back to Summer League, which we kind of ignored because free agency was so wild. So we're going to... Talk about some of the standouts from Summer League. We're also going to focus a little bit on the 2020 draft class, just kind of what to watch for there. So before we get into all of that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five star reviews. Are now being hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today is not my very stable genius but co-host, Morton Jensen. He is still out uh, on family leave. He will be back soon. But instead, we have a very special guest, Jonathan Wasserman, the lead NBA draft writer at Bleacher Report, is here to talk summer league with us. So, Wass, how's it going, man?
1: It's good, my man. It's it's Friday, so uh, we're in good spirits here.
2: Indeed, indeed. So, before we get started, can you let our listeners know uh, where they can find you on Twitter. Obviously, get, they can find you, your work on BR, but any other, feel free to plug whatever you want here.
1: Yeah, Twitter, NBA Draft Was. Um I got my own podcast uh, on Blue Wire Network called The Lottery. Um, I just had an episode yesterday with Bleacher Reports' David Gardner. And, you know, throughout the, the next two months or so, when it's a little slow, we'll pump out a couple articles a week on rookies and top 2020 prospects.
2: Nice. Yeah. You, you've been doing some great work so far on, on you know Summer League, which is why I thought you'd be the perfect guy to have on this episode. Um, so you had an article a week or two ago, I want to say, about some two Summer League standouts who could break out next season. So I figure that's a good place to start. And you mentioned Anthony Simons and Lonnie Walker of the Spurs. Uh, what stood out to you about those guys?
1: Um, I mean, just the eye test. I mean, those guys just looked like pros, and you didn't get to see it much last year. Um, but uh, that's what Summer League is for, to, to kind of give guys a chance who didn't really have the, the playing time and reps a, as, as rookies. And so, um, I mean, Lonnie Walker came out, he looked like an all-star shooting guard, and obviously the competition, you know, is, isn't crazy in Summer League, but uh, sometimes you could just really tell when a guy pops. And, and um, he, he, he was somebody who came out of high school regarded as a potential top 10 pick, Maybe not the greatest fit at Miami. Slipped to number nineteen. Um, on a, got hurt early with, with San Antonio. So never really had a chance last year. And he looks pretty healthy right now, uh, creating his own shot in ways that we hadn't really seen dating back to college. Uh, we know he really pops from from a physical perspective with his size and. Um, his length and athleticism, but creating his own shot w- w- was something that really stood out. Um, and he was able to pump in like 24 points a game without even shooting the three very well. And I think over time, you could feel pretty confident that eventually he's going to add that to his game. He's got a good looking jump shot. So uh, I-, I think he's on the right track toward becoming um, a breakout player for San Antonio and probably um, a starting shooting guard there, uh, whether it's, you know, with Derek White or DeJounte Murray, however they want to sort it out. And then Anthony Simons, um, you, we know his story came straight from high school. Didn't play much last year. With Portland, I got a feeling he's going to play a, a significant role this year in, in Portland's rotation um, behind Lillard and, and McCollum. And, uh, another guy whose confidence just looks so much higher um, and, and who, who's creating his own shot. And He's he's always been a shot maker. One of the things that stood out about him dating back to high school, and most of these young guards don't have this, is that he came in as a shooter. Um, and, and now it's about really... Uh, well uh, rounding out the rest of his game creating for teammates uh, getting himself good shots but man he was on fire in summer league I think shot over 55 percent from behind the arc and uh, you know he may not have the ball in his hands a lot to create next year but he's going to be a a floor spacer and somebody who Portland says come come in off the bench and make shots for us and and provide some offensive firepower for that second unit and I think he uh, gave Portland a good indication that that's something he could do.
2: Nice, yeah. I'm I'm both sad and really glad that Mort is not here today because he's a big Anthony Simons fan. He was pumping him up all last year, and we did it. We do like annual league pass rankings, uh, just like teams that we're excited to watch. He had Portland, I think, like eighth last year because he was convinced that Simons and and some of their other young guys were going to play. And I kept being like, What it's not going to happen yet. But <laughs> so- sounds like he's going to get his wish this year. So maybe Portland deserves to be high on the league pass rankings this year.
1: Yeah, no, I'm 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 excited about Portland. I mean, there's so many teams to be excited about this year, but um, they added Whiteside. Uh, they just locked up McCollum for a couple more years, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with Simons. I, I think that he's gonna get the the call earlier than than you would have thought based on his lack of experience. And yeah. uh, and this is what what summer league is for to kind of show coaches where you're at in your development and really a, a chance to build confidence heading into training camp.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean those two guys are the just the quintessential example of like that's what you want to see out of second year guys in summer league, right? You want to see that these guys are just so clearly better than the competition that exactly. you know, they they're like the they shouldn't be here. They're so good type of guys. Yep. which is a great sign for both of them. Were there any other second year players who really stood out to you in that regard?
1: Um I guess he's not second year, he'd be third year, Frank Jackson. Jackson okay. who who um uh, you know, he didn't play much, I guess, as a rookie, and uh, last year got some, some minutes here and there, but Frank Jackson, I mean, he played one game, actually, I think, and dropped 30 on the Knicks, and just another guy who, like you said, just looks so much better than everybody else, and that, that Pelicans team, who, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about the rookies coming up yes. shortly, but um, th- that team is loaded. Uh, and and you think about Frank Jackson is like never even talked about in the conversation uh, with, with all the exciting young talent on that team, and and I think he's undervalued. And I know it was just one game against the Knicks, but uh, just following him again from high school to Duke to the NBA, and he's a talent who uh, slipped in the draft, and I think Portland, I mean uh, New Orleans has a steal of Frank.
2: Nice. And to be fair, the Knicks basically are playing their starting lineup in summer league. So it actually, <laughs> that might be the one team you actually can learn something about. Yeah. Um, how, how about my boy Zaire Smith? Did you get a chance to check him out at all?
1: Yeah, I did. He's actually, I, I should have mentioned him first. I know you're a Philly guy. Um, <laughs> Smith, is, Smith was number 10 on my big board coming out of college. So I've always been very, very high on him. And uh, he's another guy who, who, he doesn't get mentioned with all the big dogs in Philly, but he is going to find a role on that on that team. Just playing to his strengths as kind of an off-ball energizer, uh, a hustler, and if he can make enough open shots, um, he's he's going to find a role. Can be for minutes with uh, Matisse Thybul, um, their their other exciting rookie. So um, again, like I said, I've always been high on Smith. He he's so young. And uh, just to see him produce like he did in summer league, I know the stats didn't really pop off the page, but uh, another guy, who, the eye test, just you—you uh, um, you gave him the, the nod of approval when summer league was done. He's going to be a player, um, even if he's not a big-time scorer.
2: Right? Yeah. I mean, the his stats may have jumped, not jumped off the page, but he did. Like yeah. his explosive leaping ability was clearly back, and it was just great to see because you know he had the. The rookie curse with the Sixers, of course, struck him as well. And he had the allergic reaction and the foot (laughs) fracture and he loses 40 pounds. He basically misses his entire rookie season. You know, he got some time in the G League, came back at the end of the year, but just wasn't the same type of guy who they were hoping they would get uh, last July. And then you look at him now and it's like, oh, he's back. Like, this is exactly what they thought they were getting. Um, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think, you know, they brought back James Ennis, and they brought back cork buzz as well so they do have some wing depth but i do think they're going to need some significant minutes out of both smith and tyble this year so yeah
1: i think when you look uh, there's so many guys right you mentioned ennis i forgot about him and he's a veteran who they're going to be counting on too but um such a long season and now with this whole load management thing yeah um, guys are going to get chances and and uh Smith may may not be there every single game, but there are going to be stretches or, or months of the season where they need him more um, than other months. And so all, all these these guys are going to get their chance, even if it's not consistently throughout the year.
2: For sure. Yeah, and I think he, his skill set kind of fits well with they don't need him to pour in 25 points a game. They, right. He's basically just going to feast off of cuts, offensive yep. rebounds, and like that's going to fit really well with Ben Simmons. I think I could easily see... You know, him being part, basically glued to Simmons as a second unit, like early second quarter type of guy.
1: Yeah, those two, those two areas are where he really excelled at Texas Tech. Uh, cuts and, and crashing the offensive glass and obviously transition. And, you know, if, if he could just make those open jump shots, I mean, that's really going to unlock that special role player potential.
2: For sure. Yeah. But <laughs> As always, the question with Philly is, can all of their prospects shoot to be determined? <laughs>
3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company
2: and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So let's turn now to the rookies, because that's all, usually the big attraction for summer league. Unfortunately, this year we didn't get to see as many as we would have hoped. Uh, in part because of just all of the moves that we with the trades, they didn't become official, and then some teams just said, you know, we we're gonna hold these guys out, or some of them were injured, whatever. We did get a look at some intriguing rookies, though. Let, let's start with you mentioned the Pelicans earlier, so let's start with them because we only got less than a game of Zion before, you know, his he hurt his knee, and then they just shut him down for this the summer league, which is the right thing to do. You don't want to risk him in a meaningless July game. But did he show you anything that you didn't already know?
1: No. <laughs> this was, uh, I mean the highlight of his summer league was him ripping the ball out of Kevin Knox's hands and then destroying the rim. And um, I mean, that was like a a perfect picturesque play that really sums him up. He's just an unusually powerful human being for a a 19 year old. Um, So we really didn't get to see much from him. I think he maybe played a half or whatever, but I think the the big takeaways from summer league were the other two first round picks were Jackson Hayes and, and Alexander Walker. And I was high on Hayes coming out of college. He was number five on my board. Um, but I was much lower on Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He, I think I had him maybe 23. So he was really the big surprise to me. And I guess we'll start with him. And uh, we just got to see more, more freedom. And he looked more confident. It's crazy what, what college can do to some of these guys. And maybe that's why so many are, are avoiding it and going overseas now and finding alternative routes to the NBA because college can really mask uh, your game a little bit. And I think that was the case with Alexander-Walker. He suddenly uh, was dishing out passes with – both hands and uh, hitting fall from the post and, and just shots and m- maneuvers off the dribble that he never really had the freedom to take at Virginia tech. And he just looked so much um, more free and confident. And um, he looked really good. I mean, he looked like uh, somebody who, who should have been taken higher than number 17 overall. Again, it'll be interesting to see how many minutes he gets uh, mm-hmm. on this loaded team, but uh, man, he made a pretty strong case for himself um, as a potential steal from this draft. And, and Hayes, I don't think he showed anything new that we didn't already know about, but his strengths were uh, were strong. Uh, just run the floor, finish high above the rim. And he's such a monster target inside with his length uh, and athleticism that uh, the easy baskets just continue to find him. And uh, another guy who's 19, and he just he just started figuring out this game. And if he could just figure out how to defend without fouling, I mean, he he's reminds me a lot of Mitchell Robinson, the same type of guy, same type of player, and the same type of development where they have all this talent. They just got to figure out how to use it. So I think New Orleans was, was clearly the winner coming out of the draft, and I think uh, uh, they really uh, underlined that statement um, after Summer League.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we expected Zion to be leading Summer League in murder dunks, but then it turned out that Jackson Hayes was actually the leader, like... I feel like every game, I, there were at least two or three clips that would come across the t- timeline, and it was just like, "Oh, Jackson Hayes just ended another guy's life." Yeah, okay. Cool. I mean, he
1: he plays so high above the cylinder that uh, it, it's there's not much he could do. He he's such an advantage in terms of finishing. Um, this year at Texas, he ranked in the 90, 90th percentile or better off cuts, off pick and rolls, off transition, uh, off finishing at the rim. And, uh, again, we know he's never going to be a skill player, although he did, mm-hmm. he did he um, was very efficient when he got his low post-up chances. I don't think that they're going to be giving him the ball down there uh, on a consistent basis. But just playing to his strengths uh, as a guy who runs the floor, jumps, reacts, he's got the chance to be a, a pretty special uh, center in this league. And even though he's not the new school center w- with, as a five who could stretch the floor or put it on the floor, Um, create, but I think just playing to his strengths, he's going to be the future there at center once Derek Favors kind of uh, starts to go downhill.
2: Yeah, that makes total sense. And I mean, as you said, the fact that the Pelicans are so loaded is good in some respects, because I don't know that you would want Jackson Hayes to be playing 35 minutes a game this season.
1: I'd imagine that he barely that he doesn't get much playing time this year. I think right. uh, I, I forget who said it. Maybe Griffin or Gentry said that he's not going to play too much this year. And there's no there's no need to. I mean he'll he'll get his minutes when, when other guys need rest and and he'll have his moments. But he's got to put on weight. He's got to learn how to how to defend without fouling because that's been a problem for him both in summer league and college. And uh, I'd imagine that that. That's going to hit him hard in the NBA once he starts getting minutes. But uh, no rush with him. He's so young, and, and uh, the team already has so many other young guys to develop. So um, no rush with Jackson Hayes. He's, uh, they, they, everything with him was long-term potential, so there was never any reason to think that he was going to come in and make an impact anyway.
2: Yeah, and that's a good problem to have, right? you got a number eight pick who you don't have to rush at all, and then Alexander Walker, who's showing lotteries-esque upside. Who again, you, you're so deep that you don't necessarily need a lot out of him right away. Just having these guys, you know, in your deep reserves developing on the side could become bigger factors long term. Like the Pelicans are I mean, we we've said it throughout the offseason, what David Griffin did to this franchise is remarkable. They are one of the team's best set for the future now.
1: All right. It's funny to think like you know, a couple months ago when the Anthony Davis trade was about to happen or, or was happening. We figured, okay, the Pelicans now have to reset, go into a whole new rebuilding mode, and then suddenly their roster looks good, and now we're right. thinking, now we're thinking of like, wait, can they can they compete right now? Right. But but still, you know, we got to keep the mindset that this is still a long term thing here. But they just got good so fast on paper that mm-hmm. we're kind of like getting excited about. It. Maybe we should get these guys going now. Maybe we should, um, you know, make a run in the West. But really, we got to remember that these kids are so young, um, yeah. including Lonzo Ball and Ingram, who are early 20s. I mean, so uh, easy to get excited about what they could do this year. But really, in reality, it's all about, you know, five years from now.
2: For sure. For sure. Uh, Let's stay in the West. Let's go to Memphis. We did not get to see John Morant at all. But we did see Brandon Clark, who was one of the guys, even on draft night, you knew he was going to fall because of his age. But then when Memphis got him at 21, it was like, oh, man, this is just so at least five teams are going to regret passing on this kid, and then he shows out at summer league. He, I believe, he was the summer league MVP, right?
1: He was, and I think honestly, if uh, draft Twitter was controlling the draft, he wouldn't have gone <laughs> twenty-one or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, he was uh, Ahmad and and the other guys who covered the draft who who I mean, he was top twenty all year, and so to see him go twenty-one, even though he's old, and even though he measured out six-eight. With a six eight wingspan, and, and you know those are wing measurements, and he plays a big man style. Mm-hmm. He's still he's uh, he's an out of the box outlier that you just that you you want to bet on. Um he, he in college this past season, I mean it just it always pops in my head. He had the highest PER of anyone in the last ten years, except Zion Williamson. He's just a really efficient athlete, and defensively he has a nose for the ball uh, that you can't teach. And he just always finds himself in the right spot. He has unbelievable timing when he's blocking shots, block 4.5 per 40 minutes at Gonzaga. And uh, you saw it again. He's fearless. He's just one of those guys who, you know, I had to write an article about potential stars. I wrote this yesterday. I think it might be published today or tomorrow about potential stars in this class. And honestly, Mm. I think he's one of the top five potential all-stars and not because of his scoring. I kind of compared his, his path to an all-star game to the same as Draymond Green's. Draymond Green, got to all-star games three years in a row, averaging fewer than 14 points per game. And I think Clark is one of those few guys who can reach stardom without needing to score in volume because of how much of an impact he could make um, just by playing to his strengths uh, as a defender, um, as an efficient offensive player. And I think he did show in Summer league actually he's got some skill. He had five threes. He made four all of his last year at Gonzaga just because he's not allowed to shoot those. And I think Mm -hmm. he started to show some skill that we didn't really get to see. And it'll be interesting to see how he develops over the next couple of years, being a guy who enters the league at 22.
2: Yeah. So, how do you think he's going to fit next to Jaren Jackson Jr.?
1: Well, it seems like uh, they're going to have Valanciunas start at center, and I'm sure that mm-hmm. they'll, they'll bring Clark off the bench in an energizer role, which makes sense. I mean, that's uh, what his game is. That's how I think you can optimize his game right now. Use him as that six-man spark type of player. But long term, I got to imagine he's going to be too good to bring off the bench. And um, I I like Jaron Jackson at the five and Clark at the four. And it really, I don't think it matters what number you give each guy. It depends on who they're (laughs) playing and and how you match them up against the opponents. But, I mean, they have the chance to be the most special defensive uh, duo in the front court in in the entire NBA. Um, And so I think you have to be crazy excited uh, about what Memphis did in this draft. I actually think they got better value with Clark at number 21 than they did with Morant at number two in most drafts, uh, I would say Morant is more of a guy I'd probably peg in the, the five to ten range, not the second mm. pick overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm still excited about his upside and stuff, but I think they got better value uh,
2: with Clark at 21. Interesting. That's, wow. Okay. I like that. I, yeah. I mean, on draft night or right after draft night, I wrote a piece at the Basketball Writers, which you guys can check out at bballwriters.com. Uh, use the code the MBA pod for ten percent off your daily, monthly, or annual subscription there. And yeah, I mean, I basically just said like Draft Night just gave them their next possible core. Like we're moving past grit and grind. They had just traded Mike Conley. You know, you knew they were getting Morant, but then also getting Clark, pairing him with Jaron Jackson Jr. Like this is now the foundation of their next era. And they they aren't nearly as deep as a Pelicans, of course, but. They have. I mean, that's a nice young core there. I, I'm genuinely excited to watch the Grizzlies develop now.
1: Yeah, they got to find that wing scorer. I feel like they've been looking for a mm-hmm. wing scorer for the last decade. Um, I'm, <laughs> right. right? I'm Josh, I forgot that they got Josh Jackson. I mean, I, at this point, who knows if he's even an NBA player or not. I was high on Jackson coming out of college, so he's somebody on my uh, screw-up list um, in terms yeah. of scouting. Uh, who else? They got Jake Crowder there. I'm just looking at their depth chart right now. Dylan Brooks. I mean, they, they got to improve their wing. But uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, starting to build a a franchise and and they have three major assets, I think, with Morant, Jaron and uh, and Brandon Clark.
2: For sure. Yeah. Josh Jackson, I don't know how much you could beat yourself up over that one. It, It seems like that's more of a off court thing than anything else, which is hard to especially it's I mean, it's hard for NBA teams to evaluate. It's hard for scouts to evaluate. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was an interesting guy. I mean, he, he was a, always an interesting guy to talk to, um, articulate, and, and you, you kind of got the idea that um, he knew what was going on. He, was, he seemed self-aware, but uh, that's just clearly not the case. He needs some help <laughs> off the floor, and uh, he has not learned from his mistakes. So I think at this point, uh, we're getting closer to saying that Josh Jackson is, is you know tiptoeing that line of, of whether or not teams are going to want to actually waste their time trying to develop him.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, when when they made that trade, I thought it was more. Oh, they got De'Anthony Melton than. Oh, they got Josh Jackson. It's like, I mean,
1: remember that when uh, when Cleveland wouldn't trade Kyrie for him or something like that. There was. Yeah. uh I mean, but I, it's a crazy how how fast your uh, your value can plummet.
2: And and that's the thing we always say is like you you know these picks before you make the picks, they have such value. And then once you assign a name to that pick, it's like you drive the car off the lot and it lost 50% of its value right away.
1: Yeah, totally, totally.
2: Um, Any other rookies? I know you had a couple pieces uh, up at BR about other guys who really stood out to you. So feel free to...
1: I mean, Tyler Hero was was somebody who, um, you know, we saw him drop 20 a game. And uh, I I mean, Summer League was just such a perfect setting for Tyler Hero who... At college, you know, he, this is a guy who, who loves to shoot and mm-hmm. and and thrives off confidence. But when you play Kentucky, in college basketball in general, and you only have 30 games and the coaches are very protective of each possession, um, you don't get that freedom. And, and suddenly Tyler Hero goes to Summer League where he has a complete green light, a faster pace, more space, and eventually he's going to just catch fire and keep firing away. And that's what we saw it happen. He didn't shoot a great percentage but I don't think it really matters. He's. I think mm. it's It's pretty clear to see that this kid is uh, such a, a high-level shot maker and he can put the ball on the floor. I mean, he, he only had 20, I believe, uh, 20 attempts this past season out of pick-and-rolls as a pick-and-roll ball handler. He converted mm. 12 of them into baskets. And, and this during summer league, we saw he could be – I don't want to call him a – combo guard because he's probably not going to get that many reps. But you can see he's somebody you can give the ball to in a ball screen situation, and he'll make something happen off the dribble. So I think Tyler Hero is somebody who uh, we should be feeling better about post-draft than we did um, coming into the draft. And uh, who else? Carson Edwards for uh, the Celtics. I mean, Edwards was a guy who you just felt like if he goes to a good team in the draft, a lot of people are going reg- to regret it. And uh, I think yeah. he fell to a perfect spot in Boston. No need for uh, the Celtics to replace Terry Rogier. I think they they have the perfect guy to do it with Edwards, who's never going to be a playmaker, but I don't think they're going to need him to be. He's somebody who comes off the bench, like a Lou Williams, and just uh, you know catches fire and, and scores some bunches and averaged 20 a game in summer league. He's another one of those high-level shot makers, averaged 35 a game during four NCAA tournaments, uh, four NCAA tournament games, and um, one of those guys who, if he's in the zone, I mean, good defense is not enough.
2: Yeah, I I knew you were gonna say Carson Edwards, and he, that that was one of the guys were because the Sixers traded that pick at twenty four to move up to get Ty Bull and it was like, I knew the Celtics were gonna take him at thirty three because the Sixers had thirty four, and it was like. He was such an obvious target that there was no way they were going to let yeah. him slip.
1: So it's funny. So when I was doing my mock draft, um, you know, after the top 10, it's like a complete crapshoot, right? You really right. pretty much got to get lucky unless you have a source that really is confident. And, and and so one of the guys I got right outside the top 10 was Carson Edwards at 33. Only I didn't have him going to Boston. I had him going to Philly.
2: Yep. Yep. It would have been nice. It would have been great if they had just traded 34 instead of 33. But <laughs> it's okay. People on this pod have already heard enough rants about the Sixers draft night strategy, so it's, we'll spare well, them for more.
1: I, I'm actually higher than Bruno Fernando than most, actually, if that makes oh, it, makes okay. it feel better.
2: Well, they traded him, too. I think he's on the Hawks now, I want to say. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's
1: right. I forgot. <laughs> Fernando's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, there was so, Again. Much, so much action, I, uh, I got I to update my, uh, my, my mental depth charts.
2: Right, right, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I was excited about him too for the five minutes he was on the team. But <laughs> no, they uh, they had four second round picks and then lit them all on fire. It was nice. Um, one guy I, I would be remiss not to ask about is Daniel Gafford of the Bulls just because Mort's a Bulls guy. And I know he was high on the pick right when it happened. Uh, and then it seemed like Gafford fared pretty well at Summer League too.
1: Yeah, Gafford, um, he was probably a potential top 20 pick last year. Um, and then came back and really did nothing to to improve, and so no improvement is always a bad so is always a sign that you're probably not going to go uh, where you were the year before. So like same thing happened with Robert Williams. Robert Williams mm-hmm. came back looked like the same guy he was as a rookie, as a freshman I should say, and then slipped all the way to the late 20s. And Gafford, there's just nothing really exciting about his game, right? He's a, a, a he's a finisher. And, um, and, and that's pretty much it. And, but he did a good job. He did, he's a, he has the chance to be an effective finisher. And, you know, I guess you look at a guy like Gaffer and you say, okay, your ceiling is backup center, but if you can get a good backup center at the 38th pick, um, I think that's considered a win. So, uh, I thought that was a good buy low pick for Chicago. Um, he's never going to leapfrog Wendell Carter on the depth chart, but it looks like, uh, You know, Chicago has their backup center for the next couple of years. He's clearly an NBA physical athlete. Uh, We'll see if he can become an an effective rim protector. His block rate dropped pretty significantly this year at Arkansas. Tough to really explain why that happened. Maybe there wasn't much reasoning and it was just, you know, luck. But, um, yeah, he's not going to be somebody who they give the ball to uh, and say, you know, create a shot for me out of the post or take a jump shot. But Mm -hmm. uh, roll to the basket, crash the glass, give you easy buckets, Uh, 15 minutes a game and I think he proved in summer league that he's got the chance to be that guy
2: yeah and if memory serves correctly I believe they signed him with cap space so they got him yeah they got him on a four-year deal uh with two non-guaranteed years so as you said they've got their backup center and they've got him for like one million two million a year that's a pretty good deal
1: it's a pretty good deal yeah I mean another guy who doesn't he's not that new school guy but um If you're just looking for a physical presence inside for for 10, 15 minutes a game, he's somebody you can give it to you.
2: For sure, for sure. Thank you.
3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
2: So before we turn to the 2020 class, let's go to the the inverse of what we've been talking about and any guys who really caught your eye in a bad way at Summer League. I know RJ Barrett was kind of the talk early on just because he was struggling with efficiency, but he, he did seem to get his footing a little bit more as Summer League went on. But any concerns with him going into the year based on what you saw at summer league
1: yeah i have concerns and i'm a i'm a new york guy i lived here my whole life and um i certainly have concerns i know he improved his stat lines over the last two games but all of the worries that you had going into the draft came to life in summer league and that's the fact that he doesn't create his own shot very well in the half court and he relies a lot on transition and getting downhill and, and the slashes and Making rhythm open jump shots, which I think he can do, but um, not—it's not going to be very efficient this year. And I don't think the Knicks helped him with what they did in free agency by signing like seven forwards, uh, who are who are—I mean—they're not going to elevate the team. If they were going to elevate the team and turn them into a playoff team and change the culture, that would have been different. But they're going to still stink. And now Barrett's going to have fewer touches. That, you know, Alfred—it would have been nice to see Barrett get some more on ball touches. And that's one of the promising things he showed in summer league is that he averaged five assists. And I think one of the underrated aspects of his game is his playmaking. And he gets a lot of heat because sometimes he develops tunnel vision and he can be considered a ball hog, but he's a very good passer when he's willing. Uh, again, we'll go back to the thing that, that really bothers me. And it's that ball handling for shot creation. He doesn't have a a step back in his bag. He he tried to, he tried to go to it and he got blocked. I mean, you're not supposed to get your step back, step back jumper blocked. And, um, (laughs) You know, he's not an explosive athlete. I, I know he's he, he can give you the open floor dunks, but in tight crowds and tight spaces, he's not a very good finisher. He didn't finish very well at Duke, around 51% at the rim, and, and he had trouble uh, against NBA rim protection in, in Summer League, and I just think it's going to be a really tough year for him. I think he had a lot of adjustments to make to his game before the Knicks did all their moves in free agency, and now that Marcus Morris is probably going to want his shots playing on a one-year deal and Randall's going to want his shots, and Alfred Payton's there, and Dennis Smith is in a huge prove-it year because I think if Dennis Smith doesn't take a jump, um, he's in trouble in terms of his personal value. So he's got Mm -hmm. incentive. Kevin Knox had a bad year. He's going to want to take a big step. So I think there's a lot of mouths to feed on a bad team, and R.J. Barrett, who's also now going to have something to prove coming off a shaky summer league, I just think it's a bad mix. I don't feel very good uh, about the next couple years. I, I, I hope that he... Stay steady through what's going to be a couple downs, um, uh, down stretches, or whatever you want to call it, and he can kind of overcome them. And, and you know, three, four years in, he can kind of get his confidence back and resurface. But I, I don't feel very good about where Barrett is and, and what's to come during his rookie season.
2: Yeah, no, I'm right with you. I think, as you said, the the Knicks' free agent strategy it could really jeopardize his chances of early success just because, as you mentioned, there, there are so many mouths to feed, and the fact that these guys are all either like on Marcus Morris is on a one-year deal, or a lot of these guys are on two-year deals with a second-year team option, or only like $1 million guaranteed. So all of them know they're playing for their next contract already, and they know the Knicks don't have any loyalty to them. Like They were assigned basically with the, the idea that you could flip them at the trade deadline for salary relief. So they're, they're not going to I, – I just can't imagine they're going to play with a sense of team and camaraderie. We're not going to see, like, the mid two thousand or 2010 Spurs, Right. you know, the beautiful game-type play from the New York Knicks. It, I think it's going to be a lot of selfishness, unfortunately. The, and,
1: the fact is when the Knicks missed out on the top guys, no matter what they did, there was going to be cons to it. And so I understand what they did. They, A, wanted to add some talent – so, so Barrett you know, wasn't thrown right into the fire and you know, was, defenses can key on him. So I get that. I also get the fact that they just won 17 games. All the top reagents kind of didn't even look at them. And so they got to really improve their credibility, add some toughness, make them an actual team and not just a bunch of kids with no shot. Um, so I get that. But at the same time, it's uh, like we just mentioned. A lot of mouths to feed on a bad team is just a bad recipe for an incoming teenager.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, any other guys? I, I can't think off the top of my head. There was no, like, Dragon Bender, where it was like a third-year guy who looked like he couldn't even be on the floor. There was nothing that extreme. But were there any other guys at Summer League who raised some red flags for you?
1: No, I mean, nobody really played. I mean, the, the, <laughs> honestly, if we go I mean, Nazir Little didn't play well. I knew he wouldn't play well. I wasn't very high on him to begin with, and then he got hurt. Um, and I'm just going down this list. It's tough to really criticize anybody for not playing well. Um, and, and, you know, these are, if anyone didn't play well, it was a, a low draft pick and, and it was kind of expected. But um, a, a lot of the top guys, Zion didn't really play. Morant didn't play. DeAndre Hunter, I barely played. Garland didn't play. Culver didn't play. Kobe White missed all of his three-pointers. And I know that's just not going to be the case moving forward. It was just a, a couple games of, of poor shooting. Um, so I'm not going to be too hard on him. Rui Hachimura actually played much better than I thought he would play. Um, reddish didn't play cam Johnson didn't play PJ Washington didn't play Romeo Langford didn't play Siku played one game uh, Okiki didn't play uh, Goga Badazzi who I have as a top 10 guy coming in he didn't play so and then after that it's like well if the guy didn't play well what am I, I'm not gonna criticize him for it Kevin um, jelly had some nice stresses but shot maybe 40 percent from the floor so uh, yeah this was mostly um, you know the takeaways where a lot of the top guys didn't play and and, and Barrett Unfortunately for Barrett, he didn't play well. So uh, all the attention on the on the on the who who kind of screwed up in Summer League goes directly to Barrett. So that kind of mm. sucks for him in, in that regard. But uh, mostly the guys who did play did play pretty well.
2: Yeah, and, and luckily for Barrett, there was so much madness going on with free agency that I feel like that actually took some attention away from just Summer League in general, but especially his struggles. It yeah. was like... <laughs> Yeah, also, I,
1: I'm not even sure, you know, Iggy Brasdakis, who was a, a big mm-hmm. star for the Knicks. Um, on one hand, it, you know, for, for Knicks fans, you feel good that, oh, Barry didn't play well. Brasdakis played great, so at least we have that. Uh, but then again, that that hurts Barry even more. It's like the second-round pick played better than the number three pick. So <laughs> right. I mean, nothing really worked in Barrett's favor uh, this summer.
2: Right, for sure. And, and I guess that ultimately leads to the big question with Summer League is how much stock, especially for the rookies— how much stock do you put into Summer League performance? Do you think it's, you know, is it more like the stats almost don't matter? It's more just the skill sets that you're watching. And as you said, like for a guy like Barrett, where his step-back jumper is getting blocked, that's more of a concern than, oh, you know, like as you mentioned, Kobe White missed a bunch of threes. That doesn't matter as much because you're, you're just seeing what these guys can and cannot do. Like a, a Tyler Hero who, as you said, you, you see a lot more freedom out of him, and he was doing these step back pull-up threes that you don't necessarily get to see him do at Kentucky is that kind of what you're keeping an eye on more than oh this guy went seven of twelve and had eight rebounds
1: yeah totally it's just an eye test I'm just looking to see how comfortable they look uh, are they able to um, execute moves you know d- just get shots off you know can they get those shots off that's pretty much what I'm looking for um, whether they're making them or not we're talking about a five game sample size I mean if we' were, five games is is might as well be zero games it doesn't matter what you shoot in terms of your percentage during those five games it's just uh how do they look can can they get their shot cleanly off moving from college to whatever you want to call summer league i guess you could say it's pros because most of them have had some type of pro experience but yeah it's just uh using your eyes to see how comfortable they look against a different level of competition
2: yeah that makes total sense and, and it's it's something for everyone to keep in mind that you know, a bad summer league doesn't necessarily portend a terrible NBA career or vice versa. I mean, we guys develop. There are, all these guys are still so young, and I, I feel like we're always so quick to rush the judgment when a guy struggles right away, and we're like, oh, this guy's just going to be terrible then. Like, we saw it last year with Trey Young. His efficiency was pretty bad for the first month or two of the season. And, you know, in summer league, I think there was... Some guy who, like, he shot poorly throughout Summer League. And some, I I think the guy who quote-unquote solved relationships on Twitter uh, had a tweet where he's like, well, I guess Trey Young's a bust then. And now you look at him and it's like, oh, well, uh, actually Trey Young's probably a future All-Star. So (laughs) there there shouldn't be that much panic yet, especially for these first-year guys. Or, you know, the flip side too, with Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Those guys showed out. It was great. It's a great first sign, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be all-stars ever, much less next season. It's just this is something to, you know, we have 30-some games in college for a lot of these freshmen, and that gave us something to base our evaluations on, and now we have a little bit more, and we're just going to keep building on that. So Summer League's a great place for these guys to get some experience and see how they stack up to, as you said, to their pro competition. Now they go back to the lab for a couple months and we'll see where they're at in October.
1: Yep, you can't get too high and you can't get too low based on Summer League performance. But it is fun to watch. I'm always super excited for that first game of Summer League to see how these guys look.
2: Oh, yeah. I, it's always, for me, it's like, it's fun. I get so excited. And then five minutes in, I'm like, oh, man, this is, now I remember. <laughs> this yeah, but, is the, the caliber of Summer League basketball. By
1: Summer League game number three, I'm flipping through Cinemax looking for um, <laughs> something else.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. I think I want to say it was the first Sixers Summer League game uh this year, I think, that was against Boston. Yeah, they was were like the they first... were
1: like the first game, I think, that Celtics uh Sixers game.
2: Yeah, and it was just like it ended in such a ridiculous Summer League way where it was like turnover, 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 terrible shot. It was like, oh yeah, this is this is what I missed.
1: Yeah, they need to play that like circus music in the background for these <laughs> Right, right.
2: <laughs> Exactly.
0: Today's show was brought to you by SAP. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm feeling great, thanks. How about you? You feeling happy? A little angry? People have so many feelings, millions of them. But what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP experience management and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings. And I've got a feeling we're all going to like it. Go to sap.com slash XM to learn more. Emerging technologies are transforming the healthcare industry as we know it. Investors, say hello to HTEC, a portfolio dedicated to capturing the significant growth potential of healthcare innovation. Learn more at roboglobal.com slash HTEC.
2: So let's, before I let you go, I want to quickly hit on the 2020 draft class since we are turning the page on 2019. And we, we, we will have plenty of time to go into like every single prospect down the road. So we don't need to do that. I want to take more of a big picture look here. So it's still obviously really early. We don't know which guys are going to pop in college or whatever. But in general, just talking to scouts, how do they feel about the 2020 class compared to 2019?
1: Um, there's a lot of good guards in this upcoming class. And I think that's going to be the theme that this is like a really good guard class. Uh, but. Overall, it's tough to get super excited about it. And you know, when you ask, "Is there another Zion in this class?" Well, honestly, at this time last year, we didn't know Zion was Zion. Zion was not number one on draft boards. I do every summer; I do a poll of scouts and say, "Who's your projected number one pick?" And every single one of them had R.J. Barrett. Nobody, nobody expected Zion's game to translate as well as it did. So I I can't have any uh, confident answer about whether or not there is a Zion. If there is going to be one. My guess, it's Anthony Edwards, who will be playing at Georgia for Tom Crean. And Anthony Edwards is 6'5", 225, explosive, powerful, reminds me a lot of just like a Victor Oladipo, but like a much stronger one. Um, mm. and, and, and you know, Donovan Mitchell type body. And um, that's that's the guy I'm most excited about. He's number one on my board. Uh, but again, it's tough to, to create a ranking system right now with any level of confidence. Uh, we got Tears, James Wiseman. I'm going to Memphis. He's going to be up there. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really high on Lamella Ball. who will be playing in Australia this year, and I know he's pretty polarizing. Some guys uh, don't know if he's a first-round pick. I think he's top five to me. I think people are are too hard wow. on, too hard on him based on the the family reputation and and the immaturity concerns. But I think Lamella Ball is damn good, and uh, I can't wait to see what he does in Australia playing next to Aaron Brooks will be his uh, running mate there. And um, uh, he's going to be somebody I'm sure that Bleacher reporter is going to want me to talk about like every other day. <laughs> right. And, of course. And so uh, I- I'm excited about him and um, Cole Anthony, Greg Anthony's kid is also going to generate a-, a lot of hype and uh, he- he's another exciting prospect. Uh, and uh, who else can I mention? There's a lot of really good international players Danny Avdia from Israel just won MVP of the U20 European Championships. Uh, Killian Hayes, uh, yes. Theo Maldad. I mean, there's just a lot of really good international prospects this year. But uh, there's no consensus number one, and and uh, even the top tier, it's tough to really confidently say who, who it is at, at this point. Um, Nico Mannion, Arizona point guard. There's a lot of interesting guys, but uh, I- until the season really starts, um, it's tough to really. To, to give a take with confidence on on who should be ranked where and how high these ceiling, how high their ceilings really are.
2: Sure, yeah, that that makes total sense. And to be a total company man here, the David Gardner who was on your podcast, there was an article I believe it went out today on Killian Hayes, a nice little feature on him. Uh, it was really interesting. Uh, you know, basically his dad played at Penn State early in the '90s and then went overseas, dabbled in the summer league, but basically never got a real shot in the NBA and then you know they were living in France uh he was born in his Killian was born in Florida but they moved back to France and the dad basically said like I think your chances of making the NBA are better if you stay here and turn pro here he turned pro at 16 and he's playing in Pro A in France uh and you know there's a quote from Killian where he's saying like yeah, I mean, I wanted to go play at a Blue Blood. Like, I saw how much attention these kids are getting. I wanted to go play at a Kentucky or a Kansas. But my dad said, my chances are better if I stay overseas. And now, you know, one scout that David talked to said, basically, this kid's a 20, 20 first rounder for sure. Some people think he could be a lottery pick.
1: Yeah, I have him top 10. And um, another guy who's shooting is the swing skill. Um, he only shot, I think he shot under 20% last year, but he shot 80% from the free throw line. And again, this, age, this at this age, I'm looking more at the eye test than I am at the percentages. And we'll see if he could bring up that three point percentage this year. But but Hayes is certainly a guy who I think is going to start moving up boards and and really get net that mix with uh, Danny Abdia, who is probably uh, the number one international prospect after what he just did um, at these uh, U20 tournament.
2: Wow, nice. Okay, and since since you said Lamelo is top five on your board, I'm gonna. Get get you started here. You're going to talk about him the whole year anyway. But what stands out to you about him?
1: Well, the guy. I mean, his his body has changed a lot over the years. I mean, I don't know what his his official listing is. He's at least mm-hmm. six six. He may be closer to six eight. I'm not sure. Wow. Um, and um, I mean, I think we, we all knew he's ridiculously skilled uh, as a shooter, as a shot creator, as a passer. I think the the big question is maturity. Is he you know? you can't take logo pull-ups anymore. Um, mm-hmm. you, you have to play within the system and, and within an offense. And I honestly think that going through what he did, being a guy with like millions of social media followers, and I think he's kind of getting the, out of his system early. Um, mm-hmm. Most guys don't get that attention when they get to this. Usually their attention starts now, but he's had he's been in the spotlight for so long and I think he, He's got to hear some of the criticism. And I thought going to Australia was a really positive move. I thought that was a great move for him, certainly better than sitting out and doing nothing. I think we all knew he wasn't going to go play college, but I think it was a much better move than doing what Mitchell Robinson did or Darius Baisley, where they just trained by themselves. He's going to go play with grown men in a a league that um, they pride themselves on being tough in Australia. And if he can hang with them, and maybe some of their professionalism can rub off on him, I think he's going to learn some things. I think there are going to be a lot of guys in his ear being like, "You are so good. If you could just, if you could just get the mental aspect of the game and learn how to be a pro, I mean, you are going to be a a, a tremendous NBA player. I think he's m- more talented than Lonzo is, and uh, he keeps growing. Again, I mean, this, this is we're, we could be talking about a six eight point guard who is like the exact type of point guard you want in today's league a, a scorer, but also a passer. Um, and uh, you know, he's just uh, he's very good. He's very well rounded. We'll just see if he can he can apply all that talent and um, incorporate it into an offensive system where it's not like, okay, dribble the ball up and take a ridiculous pull-up from 40 feet away. And so that'll be the key with him. But you know, if he can figure that out and he has the right people around him to kind of point him in the right direction on how to handle himself, uh, I, I don't see why he can't be a top-five pick this year.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I almost wonder if seeing what happened to Lonzo will humble him to some extent as well, just – The way that Lonzo was, you know, the number two pick in 2017, was so hyped as the Lakers' next great point guard, you know, Magic Johnson says, we're going to hang your jersey in the rafters someday, and then two years later, he's traded. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's it just shows you that life comes at you quickly in the NBA, and if you're, no matter how good you may be, your situation changes if, especially if you can be included in a package for a top five, top six player, so... Yeah, I mean, I do wonder if that whole experience is humbling for the basically the whole ball family. Like we, I feel like we haven't we we refer to Levar as Voldemort on this podcast, he who should not be named. Uh, but but we we haven't heard nearly as much from him this past year than we did from Lonzo's rookie year, and I'm wondering, you know, especially if Lamelo generates that kind of hype coming into the 2020 draft, how that whole family will approach it differently than you know having this guy on whatever whatever that fox sports show is undisputed <laughs> or, you know like every single week he was on that show or he's on first take just saying like popping off saying something ridiculous i i wonder if things will be different heading into Lamelo's draft well, i
1: think espn just banned him from uh from appearing on their show after he made some stupid comment to one of the female hosts yes um but um yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, um, the man we won't speak of—we won't speak his name. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know what he's going to do. You never, he's pretty unpredictable, and uh, he's all about building the family brand. And if he thinks that you know it's time to start talking up again, then maybe he will. But he does, he won't need to. I, I really think that Lamelo is really good. He doesn't need uh, the human mouthpiece over there hyping him up. He's—he's <laughs> he's really good, and and if he has, if he shows that he could play with these guys at at a pro level overseas um at with some future uh future uh former xnba players and, and other pros from from various continents and countries i mean uh, again i think he he's he's on track to move up draft boards and um again as long as no red flags pop up about character and stuff um, i i'd be pretty excited about
2: him nice well that i've got two big picture questions wrap up here and the first is you know we've seen with lamella with rj hampton we're seeing starting a a steady trickle of guys who are maybe saying you know what college basketball is not for me Mm -hmm. i'd rather go make some money play overseas get the experience there do you think that's going to become more of a trend as the years go on or do you think that these are just like one-off situations
1: so I think they're going to be a couple guys every year. I don't think it's going to be like no one's going to play college basketball anymore. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be uh, you know one or two guys every year who think a little bit differently and want to try something different. And and um, and, and if if Lamelo and R.J. Hampton are able to be successful, it's only going to uh, I- increase the amount of guys. Uh, when I say successful, I mean actually go high in the draft. You know that's that's really what the measure of success is. Um, when we talk about making a decision of whether to go overseas or not, because that's what these guys want to do. They want to be high draft picks. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there'll be a couple guys every year There's bound to be. Um, and one of the other things we're seeing, and it's kind of also related to just kind of getting out of college, we're seeing players leave college early for the draft, knowing that they're not going to be first-round picks, knowing that they may not even get drafted. Like a lot of freshmen are, are, are entering the draft with no shot of going first round. And some freshmen, like Lou Dort from Arizona State or Nas Reed from LSU, didn't even get drafted. But it doesn't it doesn't matter. They just want to start their careers. Nas Reed, mm. who was a freshman who didn't get drafted, um, just signed a contract. And so I think we're, people are, are trying to avoid college a little bit more and, and start their pro careers and start to earn some money here and there. But uh, in terms of guys going overseas straight out of high school, yeah, I think it'll be a couple guys every year. It'll be interesting to see if the G League gets these um, – I don't know if you guys remember the the select contract program yeah. where they give out a few every year, 125k for one season. Um, Rod Strickland is running that program, and so far they haven't got anybody. I, I don't know if they made any offers yet, and if they did, they're probably not going to publicize it because they've been denied. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but um, I, we'll, we'll see if anybody accepts one of those G League offers. But it seems like these players, or at least a few every year, have some interest in, in going overseas and and trying that route.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It's definitely a trend to keep an eye on, especially in the coming years. And then I wanna float a half baked draft theory by you. I remembered when we were talking about Brandon Clark that I have this idea, especially now that player movement has become so prevalent and the contracts are shorter than ever, that, you know, a lot of times older players in the draft, juniors, seniors especially, tend to fall down draft boards because of age. Like you if you're looking at two players, one's 19, one's 22, you're going to tend to go with 19-year-old because they're perceived to have a higher upside. There's still a lot more room to grow, whereas the 22-year-old is more of a finished product. I'm wondering now if teams are looking at what's happening and they're seeing, you know what? We might not have this kid for 8, 9, 10 years. Mm-hmm. We might not have them for 15 years. Let's just take the finished product. Like, Should, should there be kind of a paradigm shift where guys like Brandon Clark shouldn't fall as far as they did just because of their age?
1: It's it's a conversation going on within NBA front offices. Do we take the young guy um, or do we take the older guy? And I don't know if there's going to be a, a shift. And I think each team is going to have a different strategy. You know, one instance that always pops in my mind is like the, the draft with Buddy Heald and Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the same position, one guy entered the draft at 23 and the other guy at 19. And Heald went six, right, and then Murray mm-hmm. went seven, which was a little bit surprising to me. Um, yeah, every team is going to have a different strategy and see things differently, and every case is going to be different. So I don't think there's going to be one, you know, black and white movement. But it's certainly an interesting uh, discussion. I've talked with teams um, about about this very debate of uh, how to value older guys, more proven guys. You could probably help you sooner. Versus, um, you know, the younger guys who have uh, such a, a bigger window to, to keep improving. You know, Mikhail Bridges to me was a, a really interesting uh, prospect last year
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: because he was 22, and you could perfectly see him jumping in immediately. You know, for the for the as a New York guy, that was a big question: should the Knicks take Kevin Knox right. at night at 18 or 19, who is a project, or Mikhail Bridges, who? you know, based on his age has such a shorter ceiling or whatever, but such a a more defined role that you can see uh, coming to life quicker. It's a tough, it's tough. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen again. I think like I keep repeating myself, I think every situation is different, but certainly one of the the more interesting things to happen. And we'll see if Brandon Clark's success changes that for 2020.
2: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mikael Bridges, one of the best Sixers of all time. Long live his (laughs) thirty-minute Sixers career. But uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the Suns now. This is two years in a row where they took Bridges and then Cam Johnson at eleven, who is twenty-three and again has a very clearly definable NBA skill. But that ended up being at least perceived as one of the biggest reaches in the first round.
1: Yeah, woof, that was tough to. uh, I mean, I cannot. I couldn't. I'm. I'm. I'm, I've said it the night of the draft, but I, I mock drafted Cam Johnson to Phoenix at number thirty-two. (laughs) they took they took him but 20 picks earlier and um, yeah I mean I guess I I mean it's really I was at a loss of words I hate to kill Cam Johnson because he's a really good guy and and he could shoot it reminds me I, I think he's I see a lot of Doug McDermott not, – not to talk about, go on a tangent and talk about Cam Johnson, but it's the same thing as Doug McDermott where it's like, well, nothing – he's got that great jump shot, but what else of his game is going to translate in the NBA without the athleticism and already being 23 when you get into the league? But uh, that's a, a discussion for another time.
2: Yeah. Well, you saw Kobe White's reaction on draft day where they told yeah. him, you know, Cam Johnson went 11. He's like, what?
1: Yeah, uh, no, that was a great. I love how he turned it into like, oh, I'm so happy for him. But really, that, yeah. was, just, that was a complete <laughs> shock reaction
2: right exactly yeah and i i, I don't want to slander the sun's offseason too much because i made that mistake recently and sun's fans are very defensive so great great pick cam johnson number 11 great yeah, job
1: i've learned well, every every fan base is defensive there's always every you know that's another thing another topic everyone's like oh the lakers fan base is this the knicks they're all the same everyone's oh, defensive yeah. their players everyone overvalues their own players that's just how sports are
2: Oh, yeah. As a member of the Philly fan base, I promise you, anyone who slanders Sam Hinkie gets the full army descending <laughs> upon them.
1: Right. I'm a Nick guy. I would never even slander Sam
2: Hinkie. Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, because he's going to be your GM in a couple of years probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, Was, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Uh, appreciate you coming on today. And one more time, please let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work.
1: Twitter, NBA Draft Wass um, I don't even know where you find my work. Um, I'm Bleacher Report. Just, just uh, look for the draft stuff um, and anything on prospects, and uh, listen to my podcast, which is pretty much once a week called the Lottery, where it's mostly draft talk. Although right now there's really not much to talk about, so uh, just trying to bounce around to different topics. But uh, yeah, that's about it for now.
2: Very good. Yeah, I think probably. To find your work on BR, just download the app. I'm assuming you yeah. are basically all over the NBA draft stream. So that's probably the easy way to do it. But yeah. yes, please follow Wasa on Twitter. He's a really good good guy to follow for the draft stuff, which I do not follow it. You know, I, I am not, I don't pretend to be like one of these college guys. I, I went to Georgetown, so I haven't watched college basketball in about 10 years.
1: You're not a YouTube scout?
2: <laughs> I, I have not I do not have a YouTube big board like Spike Askid. I, <laughs> I I pretend, you know. I, I try to keep up. Once like draft season officially starts, then I start paying attention, but I haven't really followed it as closely since the Sixers have not, you know. A couple of years ago I did. Right. That the the Okafor year in particular. I was very passionate about their choice or lack thereof. Yep. Um but yeah, it's been it's been a minute since I've been YouTube scouting like to that extent. But uh, hey, at Georgetown, I hear it might be good this year, so maybe I'm coming back in the fold. <laughs> all
1: right, get that YouTube account uh, fired up again.
2: Yeah, uh, if nothing else, I'm just gonna watch Mac McClung dunks all <laughs> it, So I'm excited about that. Yeah,
1: I said about uh, five minutes of my week to to McClung dunks as well.
2: Yeah, good. All right. Well, in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found on iTunes. Please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. It would really help us out. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Topork and I was joined today by Jonathan Wasserman. Wass, enjoy the weekend, man, and hopefully you get a little bit of time off in this dead period.
1: Plenty of time off. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it.
3: For sure.